You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now, to get this show every day, I need you to subscribe to Locked On Mets on the brand new podcasting app, Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Also, don't forget when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Mets. All right, so the Mets did play a game on Thursday night. They just did not finish that game as play was suspended in the bottom of the ninth inning. Going to talk about that game in the first half of the podcast. Later on in the show, going to touch on Jed Lowry, who has still yet to resume a rehab assignment as he has spent his entire season on the IL for the Mets. So get into an update on him. And also talk about the Mets in their place in the division. Going to go across what the other teams in the division have been doing recently. Who looks primed to run away with this thing? Where do the Mets stand? Before we get into any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, check me out on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also find my writing about the Mets at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. All right, so the Mets had their ace on the mound for this start as Jacob DeGrom was on the hill, and he pitched great. He really did. He gave up his first run in the third inning as he allowed a double to Harrison Bader, who had a great game on both sides of the ball, defensively and hitting for the Cardinals. Anyway, gives up that double to Bader. Bader then stole third base, which was something that really got DeGrom upset. And then little bit of small ball after he struck out the pitcher. Matt Carpenter came up to the plate, and he just played the shift perfectly. There was no one at shortstop. He kind of got beat on the pitch anyway and just hit it where no one was. And I don't know if he did that purposefully or he just got jammed really bad, and that's where the ball ended up. But it rolled right through the hole where the shortstop should have been, and the shift kills him as Bader comes around to score. The Mets did not waste long to respond, though, after Carlos Gomez had struck out and Jacob DeGrom had grounded out to start off the bottom of the third. The Mets put together a nice two-out rally with Jeff McNeil getting a base hit, and then Michael Conforto came up to the plate and hit an absolute bomb, 410 feet for his 13th home run of the year, which put the Mets up 2-1. to one. Now, DeGrom could not hold that lead, and you know, it's a narrow one to have asked him to hold, but he did make one more mistake, and really, I guess maybe his only like concrete mistake you saw all night, which is where he allowed a home run to Paul DeYoung, which tied the game in the sixth inning. The Mets, though, once again, right after the Cardinals scored, they responded. In the bottom of the sixth inning, Pete Alonso hit a ground rule double, and this isn't your traditional ground rule double that bounces over the wall. He hit one down the third baseline that got caught underneath the tarp there. And so they awarded him second base. Really might have had a triple had that ball bounced off. 
as Marcelo Ozuna was heading towards the back corner before it got caught up in the tarp. Luckily, he was able to put his hands up and, you know, stopping the play once it got stuck. Regardless, Alonzo was on second base when Dominic Smith came up, and he got a base hit to bring in Alonzo. Then Todd Frazier came up, and with a 3-2 and two count, the Mets actually sent Dominic Smith to steal. Frazier, with one hand, kind of digs one out of the ground, bloops it over the second base bag. Smith, with the play in front of them, saw that it was going to drop. Hustled, made his way to third base, and Frazier, of course, settled for a single. Wilson Ramos came up, drew a walk to load the bases, and then Ahmed Rosario strolled to the plate, and Rosario hit an absolute bomb. Dead central. Unfortunately, as I mentioned before, Bader had a great game on both sides. Makes really an unbelievable catch going back on it. Catches the ball, turns into a very long sacrifice fly, which scored Dominic Smith, putting the Mets up 4-2. And as the throw came in from center field, it was clearly offline, heading towards the third base bag. There was no one backing up the third baseman, so Todd Frazier got a little frisky, thought he could take third base. Colton Wong for the Cardinals noticed Frazier breaking for third at the same time, is faster than Frazier, beat him to the bag, was able to tag him out to end the inning. You can't, I mean, you never want to run into an out of third base. And so my initial reaction when I just saw Frazier get tagged out is what were you thinking? Because, again, two outs, you don't get much for getting that extra 90 feet. I mean, a base hit still scores you from second base. But when I watched the replay back, Frazier was trying to make a heads-up play, and he just kind of got caught there. It wasn't really his fault. He just got to credit Wong for being more heads-up, I guess. From there, though, 4-2 lead, the Mets looked in control. Jacob DeGrom went back out, pitched a clean seventh inning. He finished the day allowing six hits, two runs, did not walk a batter, struck out eight, and should have gone home with a win. From there, Seth Lugo came out, pitched a clean 1-2-3, eighth inning, got a strikeout. And then this is where this game gets a little bit crazy. So the rain had been pouring down for at least a couple innings heading into the ninth. But it it really started to come down. The infield was not in good shape. The entire field was not in good shape. And the grounds crew comes out in the top of the ninth inning to cover the field. When this happens, Pete Alonso and some of the other Mets players very demonstratively were basically saying, let's just play. Let's finish this thing out. And at the time, if you're watching at home, you think, yeah, come on, just finish the game. It's 4-2. Edwin Diaz is on the mound, you know, supposed to be the lockdown closer. It's fine. You should might as well just play it out, get it over with. Who wants to sit through a rain delay for just half an inning? Well, what ended up happening in hindsight is always 20-20, but Edwin Diaz comes in, walks the first batter, then a ground out moves Ozuna, who had walked, over to second base. He then got Yadier Molina to strike out, and so he had the two outs, but there was a runner on second, and Colton Wong came up and got a base hit, which scored Azuna. Then Bader comes on up. Again, had a great game. He rips a ball over third base into the corner. Wong comes around from first base to try to score. If the Mets had made a clean relay, they probably got him out at the plate, 
but the field conditions weren't great. The throw from Gomez to Rosario didn't get there because of the wet field. The ball didn't really hop the way Rosario would have expected and ends up trickling under his glove, allowing Wong to score. The Mets were lucky as Bader rounded second base was heading towards third if the throw had gone that way. He slipped and fell down completely. The Mets were then able to get him out, trying to go back into second base. But the lead at this point is blown. Tie game. You have a chance, though, bottom of the ninth, to come back and win it. And they come back onto the field. Sure enough, they decide, you know what, this is getting too crazy. we got to you know, go to the delay. And eventually, they decided to suspend the game and call it. And so, again, it's hindsight is always twenty twenty. I get that. I'm not going to sit here and criticize Pete Alonso for wanting to play it out. But, man, does it look stupid in retrospect because the game's official at that point. Okay, the Mets are up 4-2. to After five innings, if the home... Well, actually, after four and a half, if the home team has the lead, it's an official game. So, any point after that, it would have been an official game. So, basically, if the Mets just do nothing... Don't wave off their grounds crew. Say, come on out. Put the tarp on. Let's see how bad this rain gets. I think they kind of knew that the rain was going to be bad as they were trying to push the game along. So if you do that and you go in the dugout and you get to watch the NBA Finals, relax a little bit, then when they call the game 30, 45 minutes later, you walk away with a win. Jacob DeGrom gets a much-deserved win. You go ahead 4-2. You know, you end up 500 on the season. And in pure Metsian fashion, you decide to play it out. You blow the lead. And then before you get a chance on that same wet surface that the Cardinals were able to take advantage of to score a run and walk this thing off, the game gets called. And you have to go in. And, and tomorrow now, with your really bad bullpen, you have to go into a game and play it an hour before the game will start at 6-10. It'll pick up with the Mets up in the ninth inning. It'll be Juan Lagares due up with Todd Frazier and then Wilson Ramos following him. And you're going to have to play that out. And if the Mets don't get a run in that, you know, quote-unquote, bottom of the ninth, then you got to go out and you got to play extra innings before you play your actual game when your bullpen's already shot. Now, the one thing the Mets can do is because Edwin Diaz is technically still in the game, if they don't score early on in that first inning, they can send Diaz back out and he can pitch the first inning. And maybe, I guess, if you think that his arm's good enough, he didn't pitch yesterday, he usually go two games if he can go two innings. Maybe you have two innings of Diaz, so you technically have three turns to get a win. I think that's maybe where their head's going to be at. But either way, it's a colossal mistake in retrospect. So... Here we are. The Mets will go ahead and they'll finish out that game tomorrow. Anyway, when we get back, again, I'm going to touch on the division and talk about Jed Lowry. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit more about Himalaya. This is the best place for you to go to listen to your podcast. It is super easy to use. They have every single podcast you love and are searching for with personally curated playlists made just for you by their expert team of podcast tastemakers. And Himalaya creates themed collections of shows to help with podcast discovery where you can find everything from comedy to mystery to thrillers. 
and, of course, sports podcasts like Locked On Mets. Find and download Himalaya at your app store, and once there, follow Locked On Mets. All right, you're back listening to Locked On Mets, and let's talk about Jed Lowry. So Lowry is really kind of becoming like the poster child for the Mets' rough offseason. Actually, there's a lot of poster childs. Can I even say that? Maybe not, because you got Cano. That's a pretty bad one. Diaz blew another save. You know what? A lot of the moves have blown up in, in the Mets' face. But Lowry has been maybe the worst only because you're paying this guy to play baseball, and he's not playing baseball. And that's really been the problem. So basically, to reiterate for those of you who don't know about Lowry, comes over to the Mets, signs the two-year, $20 million contract, was an all-star last year helping lead the Oakland Athletics into the playoffs. The Mets expected him to be their starting third baseman, a leader, a guy who has a lot of experience and can play a lot of different positions. Also a switch hitter, something the Mets don't have. So there's a lot of good things that they liked about Lowry. But he showed up to spring training, ends up having a knee injury, then goes through rehab, has a hamstring injury, He wasn't playing that well on his rehab assignment. And at the time, I actually kind of hypothesized maybe this was just kind of a shadow injury. Like maybe he kind of tweaked the hamstring, but it wasn't too bad. But it was a way that they could extend his rehab assignment and let him find his swing. Well, clearly that wasn't the case as he's still not back to playing baseball games. They said that he's progressing, but he's still not playing. So... Uh, is progressing just any injury should progress, but it's clearly not progressing quickly. I mean, you don't know at this point. Is the knee messed up? Is the hamstring messed up? They really don't know. He's just planted in Port St. Lucie, and Mickey Calloway again said he's doing what he's doing, but they're basically focusing on the guys that are there, and his return is not imminent. And that's just, it's crazy. It really is because this There are certain injuries that you expect to take a little bit longer, and hamstrings, granted, you know, they can linger and they can continue to be a problem, but usually what you see more is, you know, consistent re-aggravation. So, you know, they'll they'll go back to another rehab assignment and pull it again. And so I don't know if that's happening in his rehab or what's going on, but it doesn't look like we're gonna see Jed Lowry anytime soon. And, you know, Robinson Cano, he's on his rehab assignment right now. We'll see if he gets back soon, but he's not running too well either. And I think the only reason why you should talk about both these guys is the fact that the Mets invested a big portion of their payroll into two infielders that are in their mid-30s at a time when Major League Baseball is skewing younger across the board. And when the Mets hired Brody Van Wagenen, I had said, I don't know if I said it on this platform or elsewhere, but I had said that the Mets are now swimming in a sea of conflict of interests because as an agent, Brody Van Wagenen knows more about his players than anybody else. So the people that he represented, which Cano and Lowry were some of them, he would have inside information on injury history for Cano, steroid use, like certain things that most people don't, that he could have exploited for the Mets' advantage. Now, I'm talking about stuff right now that, again, would be illegal. But what I'm saying is you thought that the information that Brody had was going to be used to benefit the Mets. And so far, it just looks like the relationship he has 
and the information he has is simply being used to pay his former clients to come over and join Brody's team. And those aging players are not playing well or not playing at all. So, so again, I think there's some things he's done really well, but certain moves that he has made have, have not looked pretty so far this year. And with that, the Mets are 33-34 and 34 right now. They are currently six games back in the division. But right now, the two teams that look like they're going to run away with this division is the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies. Particularly the Braves. As they got off to somewhat of a slow start, but they've picked it up. They've won eight of their last ten. But here's the thing I look at that really tells me something about the Braves. They have a 20-15 record at home and a 20-14 record on the road. What does that speak to? Consistency. Let's look at the Mets. They're 19-11 at home, but they're 14-23 on the road. So clearly they're getting all their wins and they're getting fat at home like most teams do. But they're abysmal on the road. The Phillies, it's a very similar split, although they've been better on the road than the Mets. The Phillies, they are 23-14 at home. And they are 15-16 and 16 on the road. So it's not as drastic. But again, it speaks to a team that's has some talent and is winning at home. But has not had that ultimate consistency. The Nationals, they're under 500 in both. They're 15-16 and 16 at home. And they're five games under on the road, 16-21. and 21. They're only two and a half games back from the Mets. And they've been playing better baseball as of late. They got off to a really rough start. So they're starting to gain traction there. All of this is just to point out that if you look basically at home and aways, who's up in the division right now, I think the Braves are the team best positioned to take this division. Now, the Mets have everything in front of them. They still play the Braves a lot. They still play the Phillies a lot. And so we'll see where they go. They they can win this division, so they just got to start having some consistency, win series after series after series. That's what you got to do. You got to focus on the small things. Right now, it's winning three out of four against the Cardinals. Then, it's going on the road and winning some series on the road and improving that abysmal record. If the Mets can do that, they can get back in it. But, right now, the odds are stacked against them. Regardless, we're going to continue to talk about it all here on Locked on Mets. Anyway, thank you for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on the new Himalaya Podcast app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Also, don't forget, when you get in your car, Tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Mets.